Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the podcast. Beyond the Menu is a show where we'll talk to top industry executives and operators about innovation, growth, and success. We'll have guests from some of your favorite concepts and iconic brands talking about navigating through a pandemic, shifting business models, growing strategic relationships, and much more. We hope you stick around, so make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes, and we'll see you Beyond the Menu. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us and welcome to Beyond the Menu, a podcast by Decision Logic. Decision Logic is a back office restaurant management software that combines the intuitive experience of restaurant operators with the innovation and intelligence of next level developers. My name is Mandy Woolledge. I'm your host, and I'm the president and chief operating officer at Decision Logic. Today, we're starting super fresh this season with our first guest, John Montgomery. John is the president of Salad Collective, Snappy Salads, and Mad Greens. With 25 years of experience in the restaurant industry and a tenure at companies such as Noodles and & Company and Buca de Pepo, we are excited to learn more from John, and we're chatting with John about what's next in the industry post-pandemic, insights and opportunities he's gleaned from the last year, and much more. So without further ado, welcome, John. We're so happy to have you, and thank you so much for joining us. Let's dive Thanks. right in. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So, John, um, we kind of introduced you a little bit by telling everybody what it is that you do, but tell us a few things about yourself and kind of how your journey has got to here. Sure. Um, I think since you're Nebraska-based, and there might be a contingency of Nebraska listeners, I do need to tell everyone that I was born and raised in Alliance, Nebraska. So I lived in, so I'm a big Red fan, uh, insufferable for the last, whatever it is, 15 years or probably close to 20 years now, but, uh, insufferable for most of us, right. (laughs) But but I'm hopeful for bigger and better, uh, in the future. It's almost like we've become cub fans, uh, to some degree. Anyhow. Uh, so lived in, uh, Alliance, Nebraska till I was 10. And I only say that because I'm a Midwestern guy. And, uh, I think being from the Midwest is deeply rooted in, uh, my outlook and sort of permeates in who I hire and, and how I approach things. Very hardworking. I lived in Northern Minnesota. Oh, wow. Uh, after we, mo- that's where it's cold. Uh, uh, after we moved from, uh, Nebraska, moved to Northern Minnesota and sort of my formative years, uh, were spent there chopping wood to heat our house when it was negative 70 degrees outside, uh, is no fun, but you certainly uh, learn a work ethic. Um, I like to say that, um, I've had two jobs outside of restaurant and hospitality that I both equally hated, probably on an equal basis. The first one, yeah, the first one was, uh, I like to say I was a ditch digger for a natural gas pipeline. And it was the summer after I graduated high school. And if you ever, uh, if you, if you have children that are debating about going to college, have them go do that for a summer and they'll be ready to go to college. Uh, they'll be first in line at admission. So I made six bucks an hour. Uh, I say I was a ditch digger. I really wasn't. I was kind of a maintenance guy, but I felt like I had a shovel in my hand for 80% of my time there. Um, and then decided that, uh, I'm going to go to college and I became an accountant. I'm a CPA. I'm a, num- I like, I'm a numbers guy. Uh, right. That's my background. I landed at Deloitte and Touche, which is this big accounting CPA firm in Minneapolis after I graduated college. I hated that job. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's always oh, it awful. Yeah. I, I would wake up every day and like bang the bed because I had to go to work and, and do that. But there was a silver lining in that uh, I was on the Buca de Beppo 
uh, audit. And it's a restaurant. I don't know if you guys had one in Omaha or Lincoln, but it during the late 90s and early 2000s, Buca di Beppo, which is this big family style in your face Italian concept, was the one of the hottest concepts uh, in the country. And it was so much fun to be a part of that, that I decided to quit being a, a CPA and go work with, uh, with those guys at Buca. And I still, it was by far my favorite job uh, to date. Uh, I just have so many, so many fond memories of it. However, after a couple of years being there, I found out that the executive group who I love so much were stealing. They were in that, that's probably another podcast, but yeah, they were stealing from the company. We're a publicly traded um, uh, company at this point in time. And I uncovered it. I can, there was no whistleblower Sarbanes-Oxley back then. And uh, I uh, decided that I was going to confront them, tell them about it. They basically said, here's the door. So I had no uh, recourse really. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to be a part of it anyway. But I cried like a baby on my last day because I loved it so much. Yeah, I love that, Joe. Um, so, but that was 9-11 happened. Just a lot of stuff, you know, going on. I decided to sell everything that I had other than my car and a few pieces of clothing. And I went and traveled around the world because nobody was traveling after 9-11. And so you could do it super cheap. And I thought, cheap. yeah, way cheap. And I was like, I'm going to get out of restaurants. Uh, I'm going to get out of business. I'll go back to school be a, or go to be a math teacher or something like that. But I found out, because I've tried to leave restaurants twice, that it's sort of like the mafia. Once you're in once it, you're in. once you're, you probably know this, right? You're at Alphabies and they're on this side of it, but you're still attached to it. Um, the so when I went and traveled around the world, I was like, oh, I'm gonna find myself to do something else. Nine months later, I landed at Noodles and Company in Boulder, Colorado, uh, doing the exact same thing, more or less. Um, but it was interesting at Noodles because this was the dawn of fast casual. Okay. And I started there when we had about 30 units. Um, I don't even think it was called fast casual when I started, but certainly by the time I uh, was done there, it was well-known term. But Chipotle was just, you know, kind of getting going. Noodles was, you know, second in line in terms of the fast casual. Qdoba was, was going. Um, and I love that, that job too. Uh, restaurants I've found are just, they're good people. There's so much fun to be around. There's so much energy. I understand the widget, right, that's being produced. Yeah. You, you understand the experience because you're a consumer of it. So you can create your own uh, understanding and, and, and think about how you might do it differently or better. And so I really enjoyed that run up from 30 to, I think I left at 120 units uh, after about four years. And I learned so much. Um, in fact, I probably give most credit to where I'm at today with, with those four years that I spent there, just surrounded by really smart people. We were well capitalized, ready to grow uh, and grew super fast. Yeah, that was, it was fun. Um, but it got siloed. It almost got like too big, at least personally. I mean, they're at 500 units now, so certainly much bigger. But once you get uh, in that sort of hundred unit, it's your machine. It's it's a it's a real business. I couldn't have my hands in marketing. I couldn't have my hands in menu development. I was siloed as the nerdy accountant guy, and I thought I need to go back to school and round myself out so that I can do more and be, and be more a part of of something bigger. So I quit. Went back to uh, get my MBA okay. from at Colorado here uh, in Boulder. And um, again, thought 
I'm out of restaurants. Uh, but that lasted about five minutes. I thought I was going to be a VC or like private equity. And, uh, and then I found myself trying to create a new concept for like burgers before burgers became, you know, like smash burger and, and all those fast casuals, I, the founder of noodles and I were trying to create something. And then, uh, uh <clears throat> I ended up actually creating a back office inventory Excel tool, theoretical food costing thing that I was selling to some of my local uh, restaurant tour friends around town that awesome. couldn't have, that weren't very sophisticated. So I built some stuff in Excel. So I found myself just back in restaurants again. And I really felt at that time, so this is like 2008, um, that, you know, health was starting to become more of an important part of our lives. Yeah. Certainly like a couple of years after that was when M Michelle Obama went on um, her sort of focus on childhood obesity. And, and I wanted to be attached to um, healthy and better for you. And I ended up um, joining forces with the Mad Greens founders who had started this fast casual salad concept. So, so Mad Greens and Snappy Salads, for those that have never heard of it, are um, um, think of Chipotle style, but instead of serving burritos, um, you're serving salads. And so their salads are made for you. The salads that you help um, create your own, you know, you pick and choose as you go down the line. And, you know, when I started, I think we were doing, you know, hardly any business because nobody, everybody thought a salad is rabbit food still, and or, you know, a side salad to a big steak, especially those in, you know, Nebraska or Kansas City, right? Uh, and, and so it was, it was a tough uphill battle to get folks to think about um, salads as center of the plate and, you know, focus on health and wellness. But it started to take off. And we, when I started, we had seven units. We sold it to the, the founders, myself and one other guy were the owners at the time. We sold it to the Coors family okay. uh, here, you know, Coors Beer um, in 2013. And we had about, um, I think, 13 restaurants and, and they put a bunch of money into it and allowed us to really supercharge our growth. And we started going into other states. So we went into Phoenix, went into Austin, went into Salt Lake City. We picked a bunch of bad real estate, had bad strategy, and it's probably a story that's been you know rewritten ten thousand, a hundred thousand times with restaurants. They, right. you know, they, they get a bunch of money, they go start spending it, and and not being disciplined about about how they're you know going to grow, uh, and so we screeching halt. The money spigot turned off, and what happened was the founders uh, were jettisoned, and then I was promoted to be president of uh, mag greens at that time and what we did is we just like retrenched we said okay let's get rid of the boat anchor stores let's figure out our menu let's figure out technology which i know we're going to probably get into here in a little bit but let's yeah. reinvest on um you know what what our company is so that if and when this thing kind of turns around that we're able to capitalize and you know create more margin um, because we're just performing better. So we changed we changed the menu and started adding grain bowls, and that was to broaden our base. So we're not just yeah. rabbit food. We can be you know dad can have a meal, have you know a big hefty uh, grain bowl that makes him feel healthy, and it is healthy, but it's just different from a salad. Yeah, so that was the focus. And then the other, you know, I mean, labor right now is crazy um, expensive and tight, but for the last five years, it's been running up at almost 5% per year um, throughout the last five years anyway, in terms of average uh, rate. 
And so we were trying to get hours out and simplify and create a better equation of what's complicated to operate in a restaurant with the value proposition. And so if complexity and the value proposition of whatever it is you're making are sort of on par, then the thing is sustainable. And yeah. so we had to get complexity out of the restaurant. Uh, and we did that. Um, so then we were ready to grow. And we started, started, you know, I think we had a onesie twosie uh, where we started to grow restaurants again. And then we decided, hey, if we go into another market, there's, uh, there's now a homegrown salad concept. We're going to compete for real estate. Maybe, you know, they can't support as many stores because it is still sort of in nascent stage, the salad or healthy eating fast casual. And we said, well, what if we buy them? We, we, we buy that concept. Our back office is fantastic. We're, because of that technology that we invested in, super efficient and lean, we can, we can maximize our capital and make, create more uh, free cash flow. So that was the idea behind Snappy. So we bought Snappy or acquired Snappy in 2019. Okay. And we were high five. So Snappy is a 13 unit uh, salad concept out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, Mad Greens, I think at the time we had about 30 uh, or 32 restaurants. Um, at the time. So we were about, you know, a little bit more than double the size of Snappy. Um, we were high-fiving ourselves after a successful implementation and integration, and then COVID hit. Uh, oh, so, no. <laughs> so the thesis of, hey, we're going to create all this free cash flow and this value. And then it's just like, you know, punch to the face uh, yeah. with COVID. But everybody had to go through it. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like we were alone and it wasn't uh, anything that we could control. Um, but so that's kind of yeah. how you pivoted in there. Like, how did you pivot to be able to handle and weather the pandemic? Did you guys were you able to shift quickly for like a takeout third-party delivery model or what did you guys end up doing for that? Yeah, that's uh, very important. So when I was talking about the investment in tech, we were very early adopters of cloud technology. So the work from home pivot easy because we had right. already adopted almost every um, back office system we had. In fact, all of them cloud, they were already there. We didn't have to waste time implementing any cloud-based um, systems um, and POS cloud. Um, yep. and, and so that was super important. We had already been, um, um, you're familiar with Olo, but, and yep. I assume most folks are at this point in time, um, but we had already implemented Olo. So it was very easy, uh, and we were already using Rails, which is the, the way for third-party delivery to get pumped right into your POS. So we didn't yep, have, yep. yeah, so we didn't have all these disparate tablets and, and ways to, to get our, um, you know, to, to understand what sales we need to provide the guest. So um, we were lucky and fortunate to have already had that in place. So it was a matter of just flipping switches. So That's we, great. yeah. And so we, we were very um, reticent to dive into third-party delivery pre-pandemic. That's great. You, know, the, you start crunching the numbers. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm giving away, you know, 20, 30% margin. Are you kidding me? Um, it doesn't work. It's not going to work. So we were just dipping our toe in before pandemic hit. As soon as pandemic hit and we started back up after we closed for 45 days, flipped on all, you know, all the uh, rails channel, uh, third-party delivery. And, it, and the business went from 2% pre-pandemic to 25%. Um, and, wow. and it really, I give uh, as much as I used to badmouth third-party delivery, uh, I give them 
and the ability for us to get those, capture those sales, uh, tremendous credit in how we were able to survive COVID besides the government bailout. <laughs> yeah, besides yeah. the government bailout, third-party delivery being 2% of your business, then boom, all of a sudden it's 25% overnight virtually is fantastic. And it opened up a lot of doors for um, new guests, right? You think about they're going to this marketplace. It's called DoorDash. They want a salad. They type salad. Here's this concept called Mad Greens that they've never heard of before. They've never eaten at. And now they're once a week, twice a week. Now their family's eating it on the weekends. And that's so awesome. that's been, yeah, that's been very uh, helpful. So we so were able to, yeah, go ahead. Personally, like I had never had a Mad Greens before. And then when I did, um, the shake and the avocado rolled in the shake for the spice was yeah. like a game changer for me. Like I had never had anything like that before. Yeah. And so that just took the salad to a whole nother level for me. So yeah. I'm a big it, fan. It wasn't too spicy for you. It's almost too Not spicy for me. For me. So no, it's got ghost pepper I, in it. I and, love the spice. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, I'd never had spice on a salad before. In addition to the avocado roll, had it, you know, it had that creamy texture yeah. to the spice. So it yeah. toned things down for me, made it super yeah. tolerable. Yeah. Well, it's uh, when we first rolled that spice out. So it's called Mad Spice and uh, it's got a bunch of, you know, cool ingredients in it, one of which is chocolate. Um, which most folks Dark don't know about. Though, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So it's uh, very complimentary, but it's, it is one of these, like, um, what would you call it? Not like cultish, but like, it's a thing, right? It's our thing um, that people know us for and love us. And, and what we've seen since we've introduced that, where you take the avocado and you dunk it in, or you sprinkle the spice on the avocado is the items that have that in their, their core salad. So whether that's a grain bowl or the salad itself, those are our highest selling items. That's and amazing. I think, I think it's because of this, you know, the, the, the heat creates endorphins or whatever, you know, that kicks off in your brain. And so it becomes very craveable. Uh, and that's why those, those items are now uh, number one by a long, large margin. Yeah. Clearly worked on me. Yeah. Yeah, good. Every time I'm in a town that there's a mad grains, I have yeah. to one up. Um, Excellent. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Good. So you kind of hit on a lot of the topics as far as this ever-present topic that we have, but it is shaping so much of the industry, a pandemic. Um, I'm really interested to hear your perspective on how COVID affected the industry from a customer experience standpoint. You kind of touched on that with the third-party delivery component, but um, as well as innovation overall. And then what challenges and opportunities do you feel like your team or your brand encountered and how you navigated those? Well, it's certainly with third-party delivery now being, you know, a fairly sizable component of our business. Um, I think that that's just a, a gateway for this pent up. I don't even know if it's pent up, but the requirement for convenience. Um, it's really the Amazon Prime effect that has um, changed our culture. Uh, changed um, our expectation as consumers mm -hmm. in um, almost trumping, you know, I don't know that convenience has always been, you know, important. I mean, you think about drive-throughs in the seventies or early eighties or whenever it sort of hit its peak, that's right. all about convenience. Right. Uh, and that's been around for a long time, but the, it feels like because we're in this, you know, tech, technological stage, this advanced, you know, stage of, of, of business or of our world 
that convenience has just, it's accelerated and pandemic just made it much, much quicker where maybe it would take three, four, five years to get to where we stack convenience in terms of importance in our value equation. You know, it's now one, if not, you know, one A, if you're going to fight for quality being up there as well. But I would argue that if you're willing to pay third-party delivery to bring you some soggy, cold McDonald's fries, that you care more about convenience than you care about quality. And if you're willing to have them, you know, deliver you a star, a $7 Starbucks, you don't care about price. Um, and, and if you're willing to pay 30% premium on menu price, you don't care. You care about convenience. And right. so, so that I think is by far the biggest, you know, change or, or you know, the, how the consumer is, um, has um, pivoted, if you will, the, right. the hot term pivoted uh, that pandemic created. And what we've done is just to make sure we're there to meet them with that. And when when you know um, pandemic hit and there's this pivot to you know, shift from to work from home, we don't know where our guests are. We knew they used to be across the street at the medical facility or the you know the office tower. Now we don't know where they are. We don't know if they're going to come back. Thankful we had a suburban footprint. So a lot of the mad greens and snappy salads are located in suburbs, not core, you know, dense central um, business districts. But the having the tech stack, the easy online ordering, having a mobile app that can they can easily order, reorder, you know, click to pay. Uh, super important that we were able to do it to flip it on. But as we move into the future, it's you know, it's an anti to play at this point. Right. Um, and if you're not bought into that you know, it's not too late. And I, one of the things that I think we're going to talk about is what wisdom, if, if I have any, but um, it's not too late that you have to be able to meet the new, you know, the modern day, the post-pandemic consumer and, and technology and being able to um, meet them with convenience is where it's at. Absolutely. So I do have a, a question about that. So I know you had some outstanding team members by your side to mm -hmm. be able to help you with some of those challenges and opportunities. Um, do you have a hero story that really stuck out to you during the last year or two? Yeah, I've got, there's, I was thinking about, uh, you know, really, if you think about all the folks that helped get through the pandemic and the downturn and we're fur you know, we furloughed people for 40 days, most everybody stuck with us. We're bigger, faster, stronger today. I would say it's taken the entire village, you know, to get this thing sure. turned around. So it's hard to pinpoint one uh, particular person or event. Um, so this is, I, I hate, I hate giving credit to vendors. For the first month, I'm working, no, everybody's furloughed. And, you know, I wouldn't say on vacation because everybody's scared, but I worked. I worked every single day and I was dialing for dollars. Hey, I can't pay my bills. Hang in there with us. Can we restructure our lease? Can we restructure our payables? Other kind. And I would say 50% were good. 50%, you know, 45% were meh. And like 5% were great. And one of them was Benny Keith. If you know Benny Keith, the food service yeah. provider out of, Yo. I think they're out of Dallas. And they're a giant, you know, I think multi-billion dollar type company. I didn't really have a relationship with them. This was, we acquired it with Snappy. Uh, for the most part. Um, and, and we, we had, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a half a million dollars or something that we, we owed them. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get paid. You're just going to have to hang in there with me. And uh, the sweetest gal, I think her name is Tammy. She's in credit. Every week she would call me and say, is there any updates? And I'm like, can't pay yet. And she's like, okay, just keep us posted. And then once we got PPP money 
she called. She's like, can you start paying? I'm like, yeah, here's what I think the payment can't be. Oh, that's great. As long as, you know, as long as you think you can, you know, make it and get through. Benny Keith was the best vendor that we had during pandemic in terms of working out to get us back on our feet and make sure that they didn't sink us. And I'm, I suppose I said, well, what's the point if, if, if they don't have any money, like they're not going to get it anyway. So let's figure out how to work together. That mindset was, was very rare, uh, which kind of shocked me. So I have to give them credit. Yeah. That's great. So, you know, you touched a little bit on that and I know we weren't working together, but that we did something really similar, you know, as far as, you know, some of our groups were completely closed and we were like, don't worry about it, you know, and the ones that were operating at 50% were like, can you give us 50% of what you got going on? Yeah. Um, you know, other groups, you know, and, it, and, and we worked together, right. We took on that mindset of, we started off, we, we don't like the word vendor here at decision logic. We prefer partners, partner. yeah. um, just because we do, we try to partner with the business of the groups that we're working with. And, you know, we had a lot of similar conversations and dialing for dollars. Like I wasn't, we didn't furlough anybody, fortunately, um, but that is something that our director of client services and I did, um, reached out to all of our customers, just touched base with them. Some of them were like, I'm scared to talk to us. Cause they were scared. We were calling to ask them for money. And we were yeah. just like, first, just, how are you, you know, how yeah. are you doing? Like you you're going through a rough time right now. Um, but I think that we've heard quite a few stories about some groups were great to work with. Some groups were not great to work with. And honestly, some people changed their vendor partners during this because of how they handled things. Um, so I'm really happy to hear that you had some really great partners. We work with Benny Keith as well. So it's, it's awesome to hear when folks take care of each yeah. other. So thanks for that's, sharing. Yeah. And I, I, that's great that you guys did that. I used to tell the ones that weren't great to work with. I said, you know, you realize that COVID is going to be short term in terms of duration. Like, you know, eventually this thing is going to go away and things are going to go back to normal. But my memory is long. Like I'm, a, I'm an elephant. I, I will remember this. And some of them, and it wasn't like a spiel, right? I didn't say that trying to get more or, or take advantage of the situation, but I meant it. Like, and it goes to your point, like where some of them, you know, folks are changing vendors. There's a couple, and I'm not going to name them, that 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 when our contract is done, that and I've already actually started looking for a replacement. So it's, there is consideration to move and it's because of how they treated me during April of 2020. And I'm not some like grudge holder, you know, like, but it's bad business, bad it form. Bad business. And yeah. it's something that you have to take in mind, you know, and that's one of the things that we talk about so frequently, um, within the industry, right. You and I had conversations similar to this in mm. August and it's that the restaurant business is so familial Mm. and driven by relationships. That's where we go to solidify relationships. That's where we take first dates. That's where we go for celebrations. That's where we go for mourns. Yeah. Um, you know, when we're mourning a situation, we gather, we gather around that table, we gather around that experience. Um, and those of us that have been in the industry, like you said, you're addicted. You're part of the mm -hmm. mafia now with mm -hmm. us. I have a really good friend that said, you know, we're old enough to know better, but we're crazy enough to stay. <laughs> You know, we got to keep seeing with inside the industry that, that we grew up in love and that provides those experiences. And so when you have partners that you're working with in that space, um, you want to make sure that they hold those same things near and dear. And if they're not, it is something that you will remember. Yeah, for sure. Well said. I like that one. I might have to steal that. Um, old enough to know better. Old enough to know enough better. To yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So what do you think is the next big challenge or opportunity um, your company and or the industry is going to face? 
What do you think might be on the docket for innovation, technology related or otherwise? Yeah, it's labor. I mean, labor is the shortage of labor right now is creating, uh, it's forcing us to rethink how we go about uh, our business. And supply chain is this, we're having the same issue. And this isn't new to you or anybody else that might be listening at some point. Supply chain will get fixed. That, you know, it's market dynamics. It works itself out. Um, Labor, I don't know. And the reason why I don't know about labor is because of the exodus that's occurring to go do something different. Mm -hmm. Unlike, you know, when we've had these, you know, peaks and valleys of labor's flush, labor's not. um, This is the first one where it feels like folks are actually leaving the industry. And it's because the job is become too too stressful it's it's not providing them the joy that you know or you know was years ago perhaps uh, pre-pandemic perhaps because we don't have enough bodies to help support it it's you know resting on the shoulders of a few and they will break um and so i think labor is a real crisis that is not going to be um solved in the near term um so you know, thinking about robotics is kind of interesting. You okay. know, Sweet Green, if you know Sweet Green, they just IPO, there's fast cash uh, salad concept. Yep. Um, they bought a company in Boston that um, supposedly has some sort of back of house robotic type stuff, some MIT guys created. Uh, there's the burger, I think Red Robin or one of the burger concepts is, is toying with this robotics where they're, you know, the robot is actually cooking the burgers. So, um, DoorDash is, uh, they invested in a company called Chowbotics and they've got this vending machine called Sally that makes salads. And I actually did a demo a couple of weeks ago. Cause I'm just thinking like, okay, well, could there be something with robotics and salads? Cause all you're doing is assembling ingredients. So the prep work still needs to be done, but the assembly process perhaps is where you can gain some efficiencies. And we're not quite there. That, that company's not quite there yet but they're definitely on the path to creating something that will be viable and likely in, in use and in play in the next five years is my guess. So, so robotics is definitely one. Um, I think about just from the consumer side, and this isn't really a challenge as so much as maybe an opportunity or another medium is, I don't know about you, but I'm on my phone all the time. Mm-hmm. And I probably text now more than I ever have in my entire life. And it seems like I text more and more. And now I've got more like companies that are in text stream, you know, text one that you're coming to the doctor tomorrow, you know, text two to take a survey on how the doctor was two days from now, like that type of, so we're in this SMS world, which feels like we're going back in time because SMS kind of was archaic at some point in time. But I think like there's this text sort of voice text ordering thing that could be the future state of how we uh, order. And I don't know if it's, you know, in SMS is maybe it's just inside an app or inside a Olo type platform. Right. But I've been thinking about that, that because so much of, of our lives now are in the text stream or chat stream, um, that there's got to be more uh, opportunity to capture some sales in that medium. Again, going back yeah. to convenience. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's really interesting that you bring that up because that's definitely something that, you know, we're trying to do within this next year. Um, just to your point, they're so used to being on their phones. Everything yeah. is on their phone. 
Um, and so trying to give them all the tools that they need in the palm of their hand to be able to do those components of that um, is something that we're hearing loud and clear. So I'm glad that that's resonating with you as well is making sure that those team members um, have that opportunity. And you know, to your point with the labor shortage, making sure that you have pieces like that to make you an employer of choice uh, to be able to support the team members that you're working with. Um, the, that mobile, well, your mobile comments like spot on because that's, and, it, and I wouldn't say it's almost become like the anti to play, but I, that's for us as we think about new acquisition for, for um, technology and software is like, what is, is it mobile friendly? Can they do this, you know, when they're walking uh, in the restaurant to go from one place to the other, um, make it super convenient. Here we go again, for our managers and our staff to be right. able to do functions that it used to be, they had to set aside time to go back to the back office where there's many that. distractions. They can't do it. So that is very uh, astute that, you know, the mobile first and, and, and for us, it's almost become like, well, it has to be mobile first. Like that has to be what they offer. Otherwise we're not going to do it. We just signed on a, a new software probably a month ago. And the idea was to create a more convenient, mobile friendly, easy way for our managers to, um, to hire or, or bring staff, uh, potential candidates in to be interviewed and to hire them. And yep. before it was very clunky. They got to go to their desktop. They got to log into something. They got to then email the, the person back, you know, and it's, it's old, it's outdated. Now yeah, it's exactly. like click, click, click. And the person signed up to come in tomorrow to interview it too. Yep. Uh, so it's so very important. No, that's, that's amazing because to your point, like we've got a different um, caliber of teammate that's trying to come into the staff as well. Um, it's a different caliber of management team, honestly, than it even was, you know, 10, mm -hmm. 15 years ago when those of us that grew up in the business were used to doing that. Um, to your point about the mass exodus and the, the, what are they calling it? The great resignation yeah. of so many different positions that are happening with inside all industries, but especially the restaurant business. You know, I think, I think there's still a people component that we've got to make sure that we're honing in on. And to your point, making things more convenient for them to continue to support the hospitality industry. Um, I don't think that they're missing the care. I don't think they're missing the, the, what we call the give a shit factor. Yeah. I think that they're missing the component of dude, make this easier for me yeah. to take care of people. Totally. I've yeah. got so many things I've got to get done in order for this thing to run. Yeah. Care about me too. <laughs> Right? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And that's, um, and I, I actually had that thought, but I didn't, I didn't know how it fit in. And it maybe sounds like a, not as sensitive. I mean, robotics doesn't sound very sensitive to the, to the, every, but you're right. It's a people person or it's a people business. It's always been, and it always will be, um, these ghost kitchens and things like that. They live in the convenience world, but people want to go to restaurants. They want to see their food being made in front of them. They want to experience the theater of it. They want to experience the camaraderie. They want to be served. So there's so many things that, are, that will never go away in restaurants and it requires people to do them. So going back to the complexity value equation that I talked yeah. about earlier, it's a little, it's a lot of that. And we, we try to retool once a year, we sit down with all of our team, like our area manager, coach type folks, sit down and say, 
let's pick apart our menu, pick apart our processes, find complexity, and think about how we make it better and easier for our staff to execute. Because the burnout factor is absolutely real. Why are they getting burned out? Because they feel like they're doing something mundane and stupid. And, you know, like, why am I doing this? This doesn't make any sense. None of our guests even buy this thing or nobody likes it. Like there's that stuff is still there. And it and it we need to get that out of, of the equation to make you know Susie or Timmy or Ronnie uh, who, who comes to work, you know, enjoy the the good parts about the work, which is serving guests and putting smiles on faces for sure. I love that. But I do think that there's still a human component that we can attach to robotics, right? Uh, you're going to have some team members that think that's the coolest thing ever. True, the millennial. Definitely yeah. want to work with that yeah. or want to be in a business that's, that's leading edge in technology and those components. So yeah. like like you said, I mean, it's definitely that balance, right? Mm-hmm. Of those two components that you're trying to put together. So I love that you guys take so much time and effort to do that. Yeah. Um, all right. So that kind of leads into, you know, as the industry continues to move towards those digital strategies and technology becomes a more standard practice, um, it sounds like you guys go to great lengths to solve some of those problems. Tell me how technology factors into the decision making for your business. Well, I think there's a few components to it. I mean, the data, um, the rich data that you get by having systems that are able to aggregate it and um, put it in easily obtainable structure format so that we can make quick decisions and and oh, it's very important or informative decisions that it's not shooting from the gut, it's rooted in fact. Um, that is, is very much a fabric of how we tackle um, uh, everyday decisions at, at Salad Collective. You know, the, um, the other thing I was going to say is that, um, okay, here I go, repeating this same line of thinking, convenience. So as we think about every process in the restaurant, what can we do that makes it more convenient? And then what technology allows that? Because we're big believers in technology that creates efficiency, that allows us to run leaner, smarter, and really put um, our efforts into where we get max value. So those are the two things that I was thinking about. Data being you know, just ever present in our world. Everything's data, data this, data that, big data. Um, my language. Right? <laughs> so, so, so being able to get it though. I mean, that's the whole thing is like that all these companies have data. How do you get it and you know, parse it and, and chop it and dissect it in a consumable format that mm-hmm. you can make decisions? And that's kind of hard. Um, and that's what we we really spend a lot of time and effort trying to figure out how to do that even better. But then the other piece being the convenience piece of making sure that we're uh, buying the latest and greatest that can make our lives better. Yeah. Easy to get data in, easy to get data out, accurate, compliant, right? Yeah. And that's, that's what everybody needs to make the decisions that they're trying to make. Absolutely. That's awesome. All right. So the big looming question, John, yeah. what is one piece of parting wisdoms that you would share with other restaurant brands right now? I kind of said it earlier that you technology is here to stay. We are in the technology technological stage age of our society, of our life cycle. If you don't have Olo, I suggest you go out tomorrow and get Olo um, or something. You know, I'm a big, I'm an Olo fanboy, but like there's, there's other ones that are out there. Olo is very critical to our business, but uh, think really hard about how tech, don't think of technology as being disruptive. Don't think about it as taking away from 
um, you know, the experience per se. Think about how it rounds you out. Think about how it adds new occasions or new guests into, um, you know, expand, what are the rising tide type of approach, you know, expand the pie. Um, so technology is super important to restaurants. And I used to laugh at sweet greens. I'll talk about sweet greens again because I study them because they're competitive, uh, competitor of ours. Right. Sweet greens has been saying they're a technology company for years. And I laughed at it. It's like, I've, I've been to almost every single one of these restaurants. Like you're not a technology company. However, technology is super important to what you do and what we do as restaurants. And, you know, they just happen to be at the front edge of making sure and taking advantage of technology to make, um, you know, all the things I just mentioned come into play. Right. But we're still a people and food, per, um, you know, company or food business. But technology has to be what you think about future state because it ties everything together in where we're going. 100% so, agree. Uh, That's yeah. so great. So yeah, it's, it's about that trifecta, right. Of making sure that you have the right people in the right place at the right time, you know, that you're in the people business that are serving food and beverage. So you need all your ingredients yeah. in the right place at the right time. Um, but then to your point, like making sure that you hire the technological partners that you need in order to find that convenience, you know, put those things together that you're expecting. Um, and I'm excited to see where the industry is going to go. I think there's a lot of people out there trying to solve a lot of those unique problems. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people trying to solve the wider spread problems. And if we can find a balance there too, I think that the, the industry is really going to have a leg up here in the next yeah. you know, year or two. No doubt. And I, the, I, I often tell my restaurant operators that restaurant people and restaurant operators in particular are like water like a, a water drop at the top of a mountain, like it figures out how to get to the bottom, right? It doesn't always go straight yes. down, right? It just figures out the path of least resistance. And uh, I, I say that to operators when it's like, we're faced with this, we're faced with that, all these things getting thrown at challenges. I was like, you guys are operators. You will figure it out. Yeah, it might not be straight downhill, but it, you'll get to the bottom. You'll, you'll get to where we need to get. And always. so- I think about that with, you know, technology is, you know, we're faced with stuff. So you have technology has to enter in the equations of how you problem solve as, you know, as does anything else. Like it just has to be now one of the pillars of the decision tree and how we're solving sort of the new phase is where we're going. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much, John, for joining us on Beyond the Menu. Um, we are super excited to have taken the time to speak with you and learn all the things that you've been through and um, I really hope that people take some of the advice that you've given and learn some things from the journey that you've had, because I think it's pretty impressive. So thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Beyond the Menu is presented by Decision Logic, enterprise management software built by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. Are you ready to gain control of your back office? Check us out at decisionlogic.co. That's D-E-C-I-S-I-O-N-L-O-G-I-C dot C-O.